Have you ever wondered why we age? Do we have to even accept aging? I truly believe we don't have to accept that at all. And I can help you understand the aging process and possibly even reverse your age so long as you are willing to go deep into your mind and question everything you've been living so far. This podcast has been the product of my obsession as just a regular dad to not only live long to be around for my kids, but to thrive in living as long as possible. My aim is to inspire you through amazing real life stories focusing on the mind, the body and the spirit. We will look into the impact of trauma and methods to tap into the unconscious to tackle that stored trauma. I will go into the science of aging and aim to demystify the current technology, supplements, exercise routines and nutritional practices most importantly, I'm going to learn with you. Together, we are going to crack the code to living a happy health span. Come and join me on Let's Grow Young. It's a it's a pleasure to have you on the on the podcast, Nicolina. As I understand it, you've um, you've run a number of health startups, and um, your current. Um, role is CEO and founder, as I understand it, of, of Glycan Age. Is that accurate? Yeah, co-founder and CEO. And actually, this is my first uh, health uh, biotech startup. I was in tech uh, for 12 years before this. Uh, but um, I come from a family of scientists. So this was actually um, my father's invention uh, from 10 years ago that uh, eventually turned into uh, today's product. I understand. I stand corrected. So, So what made you make the leap from tech into health tech? Did you see some sort of uh, uh, synergies that, that you could take advantage of or was it family passion? Well, it was um, many things. Of course, uh, I, I didn't go the uh, biology route. If anything, I was the black sheep. Everybody <laughs> had a biology <laughs> degree and there was some type of scientist and um, I went the entrepreneurship route. Uh, but that's something I've done since I was really young. So I've always had a knack for entrepreneurship. It was, you know, I can trace back ventures to kindergarten if, if I want to go all the way back. Um, wow. So then, of, of course, when you're starting really young in, in your teens and early twenties, you can't really go into biotech. Well, not in today's world. So you have to start where you are. And for me, that was um, uh, coding. I, I taught myself how to code and then ended up in a number of different, uh, and I wasn't the best coder. So eventually I had to you know, hire teams that, that can do a much better job than me. Um, and I ended up in, in, in that um, industry for a while. But I think the drive has always been similar. I think because I learned how to build things for myself since I was young, I always wanted to do that for other people as well, or give them the same type of opportunity. So employ my friends very early on, which was actually a terrible idea, <laughs> at least in the first startup. Um, but it was always about the people. I always cared. Uh, uh, I always liked uh, investing in people, growing people. Uh, we have even people in the business today that I've worked with for almost 10 years now across the multiple wow. different uh, companies that have uh, followed me into this entirely new venture to, to, you know, what we've done before. And we are now almost four years in, uh, commercially. Never. So it's not, we're not at the beginning anymore. Uh, and I think what I was missing in tech was the impact on people's lives beyond just giving them a job. Um, and I've always liked the impact side of things. I tried, um, something on the sustainability angle in my early twenties. Uh, that never became a you know big venture. We just didn't make a lot of money from it. 
but I was very passionate about the mission of it. And in this, I could merge this passion about impact because generally I don't, um, I don't work for money. It, it just, uh, it's the last thing on the list. It has to be something that, um, uh, it stretches me, inspires me in, in, in some way. And the best way to do that, of course, is in health. You know, the, the biggest impact you can have is on people's health. Um, and Indeed. I didn't in the beginning understand the science. So when it was just aging, when we were just talking about the, a biological clock before, uh, we could connect it to health or I can understand it from a health perspective, I didn't actually like it. Uh, so that's why I probably took um, my dad 10 years to convince me. Uh, cause it, it just kind of seemed ego driven to care about aging. Uh, but then when I realized that actually you're doing preventive health, you're following a mechanism early, early mechanism that happens with aging, they will turn into disease. But if you tackle it early, you're actually preventing a whole host of diseases. And instead of what we do now, patching up a you know, ship with a lot of holes that will just keep le leaking, you're fixing the root cause uh, of a problem. Uh, so I think that helped me transition uh, and get really passionate about it. Have you seen my production notes or something? Because you're, you're, you're no. kind of... Very easily, you're just going through the topics that, that I'm hoping to cover, um, which is amazing. Actually, it means that I can shut up and just the, the listeners can listen to you, which is fantastic. Um, one thing I must ask though, before we go forward, what was that entrepreneurship idea at kindergarten? So it's a funny story. I used to, um, so I would take my, from kindergarten, I had a little brother. I have four brothers, but two are close to me, like, um, two years younger and four years younger. And in my last, uh, I think, year of kindergarten, I had a little brother there, which then I had to take home with me because my parents would uh, work until very late in the lab and they would uh, usually not um, uh, pick us up. <laughs> so we had to do this, you know, we had to uh, look after our siblings. So I would take my little brother home. And on the way, it's a very short walk. It was maybe a five minute walk home. Uh, there was a puddle with uh, tadpoles, which was drying up. So you had a bunch of these poor little tadpoles, which were, you know, dying on the surfaces. Uh, so I decided that I am going to save these tadpoles. And I took a bottle and filled it, you know, an empty bottle and filled it up with a bunch of tadpoles. Uh, and I got, got them home and I was going to put them in our bathtub um to to look after them and then my mother negotiated with me and we agreed to put them into pots and pans on the balcony but now i had to figure out how to feed uh these tadpoles so they can you know grow into frogs and i had no idea how you feed tadpoles so i tried to give them a little bit of bread uh which didn't work cuz they'll bubble up and i think i lost a few but most of them were still alive and i've learned that you sh you should not give bread to tadpoles um, and then my mother gave me a book, uh, to learn about frogs and to read about, you know, what, what they eat. And I'm dyslexic. So I hated books. I was maybe, I think I was five or um, I was close to six at the time. Um, so I made myself read for this, you know, book and I learned about microorganisms. So I would go yeah. and, um, pick up muddy water and exchange it you know, with the tadpoles. Well, you know, give them the muddy water. And, you know, they would get fed properly and they turn into these cute little small frogs. Um, <laughs> and then I had a whole balcony of small frogs. So I had to do something with the frogs and I would take them to kindergarten and uh, sell them to kids uh, for cash, candy or Pokemon cards. And I priced them as much as a Pokemon card. 
Uh, and then I even had special deals of, you know, if you take, uh, you know, two frogs, you get a discount or something like that. Some, something of so the you, sort. you were three or four years old at this age? I was five, I think, uh, wow, five. getting on to six. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Amazing. So you can see the, uh, the innovator, the entrepreneur, it was there from the start. And here we are now. Um, and, 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 and you've grown that massively. So th that's absolutely great. And I'm going to get onto glycanage and what it is, but maybe I'd, I'd just like to, um, start on, on understanding the question on why do we age in the first place? And I know it sounds like an obvious question, but, but what are the factors that, that lead to people, um, aging and aging in different ways? So this is an open question. Uh, nobody's figured out why we age. We have a lot of uh, theories and a lot, a lot of work in the space now and more understanding than we've ever had. But we have certainly not answered the question as to why do we age? And you have different theories. You have different uh, pathways that have been identified. And I can tell you a lot about our ones, but also I can tell you how this um, compares to others. Uh, and there's probably two aging theories which are dominant, which everyone is focused on now. And the um, first one is uh, um, a theory of a program. And this is where actually epigenetics plays a role. Um, and we don't look at epigenetics, but I can briefly explain what it is. Um, it's in a way, uh, so it's how your genes are expressed through life. And the theory is that we have a set program that has a limit. So you have a maximum lifespan. And this, this is due to this program. And that we could uh, identify uh, a therapy or a small molecule, a way to reverse this program, and then trick it into maybe a double lifespan and so forth. So that's, that's one that's attracted a lot of capital. You've probably had um, five, I think it's not even close to 10 startups in the epigenetic reprogramming space. Uh, including one that's funded by Bezos and a number of other uh, billionaires who are purely investing in this scientific venture uh, to figure out if we can slow down aging by uh, focusing on reprogramming and uh, researching the epigenome. Now, there is another theory of aging that is more connected to what we do, and this is the theory of damage, that you create damage throughout life, that that accumulates, leads to uh, health decline and then eventually, you know, leads to, uh, to our, to our mortality. And in our case, this is inflammation. So we didn't, um, we didn't think we would stumble on an aging biomarker. Um, we didn't know, you know, that we would find it in, in, in our research. It was more of an accident. Um, and I can tell you where it all started if you want to hear the whole story. So there's, if we look at biology, if we look at uh, a cell, it, it has four components, uh, DNA, protein, lipid, and carb. And that's what most things in, uh, are, are, are made of. And one part of it has, well, of course, we've focused a lot on uh, DNA. We've focused a lot on proteome. Uh, but this carb part is very interesting, and it's generally been ignored um, in science because it's, it's quite complex. But these carbs, you can think of them as... Um, complex sugars have evolved that they are around all of our cells, all of our molecules, and they enabled everything in our biology to communicate. So when we became multicellular beings, we invented this sugar language around everything in 
our biology to enable biology to be multicellular. So without carbs today, we would be single cell bacteria. And we specialize in the carbs. So my dad um, joined the lab focusing on, you, you call these carbs glycans, uh, focusing on glycans when he was 20. Yeah, I was going to ask, a lot of people say carbs are bad for you, but that, that'll take the conversation elsewhere. So I'll, I'll let you just continue so, with that flow. This is a very long conversation, but unfortunately we know of carbs only as, the, or we associate carbs only as dietary carbs. And then when we talk about the sugars we look at, people think about the sugars they're eating or how their biology is responding to the sugars they're eating. But actually there's a different type of sugar that has nothing to, well, nothing directly to do with what we eat. It's like a language that we've invented, that we create ourselves. You know, while our protein's being developed, the carbs are also being developed. Um, and these carbs are in every process. For example, blood groups. Your blood groups is defined by glycans or carbs on blood cells. Now, this has nothing to do with your diet. This is something you're born with. Um, your immune system communicates through glycans or through, through these complex carbs. All communication of your immune system happens through it. Conception happens through glycans. Every single, and I'll explain how. So um, sperm coats itself in these sugars, which disguise it uh, from the female's immune system, so disguises it, so that conception can happen. Otherwise, it would be a foreign entity that the woman's immune system would destroy. So How crafty. Yes. Everything. If you go to any biological process, you will find sugars or complex carbs, and they have nothing to do with the sugars you're eating. Um, okay. But this has not been publicly popularized. You know, this is a part of our biology that has been here from day one, but we have very much popularized genome. Now we popularize epigenome. Uh, glycans haven't received that same awareness yet. Um, but this is, this, this is our field. So this is something we dedicate, well, our research team uh, and my father uh, have dedicated their careers to him. For him, you know, his entire life has been about glycans and will you know, definitely end with glycans. Um, but about 10 years ago, when we looked at the large groups of people through the glycum, so our lab did the first large study uh, of the human glycum, the first 1,000 people. Is this a human glycome project that you guys started off? Yes. Uh, yes. So we are, our chief scientific officer, who's also my father, is the co-founder uh, of the human glycome project with another uh, scientist from Harvard. Actually, uh, I, I am convinced you've seen my script. I really am, yeah, Nicolina, something's going on here. So I think um, um, I was going to talk about also the scientific advisors that you have. You've got people like Tim Spector. You've got your father who is, I believe, at UCL College, and um, and he's been a professor at, at various places. If I've got that incorrect, we can re-record that. But um, my point okay. here is that you've got a vast scientific board here. I can quickly correct you. So he is a honor professor at uh, Harvard at Edinburgh, um, and he's a John Hopkins scholar. So his um, tenureship was at John Hopkins, and then uh, he actually moved. He's he's Croatian, and um, we are Croatian. So he moved back uh, to Croatia and started a private research institute in in the same space because he didn't have good Perfect. universities there to join a university. But we collaborate with every. 
uh, top university globally. So any human glycome analysis for Harvard, for Yale, for King's, for Stanford um, is, is actually done by our lab because uh, we're the so, only lab that can look at glycans at scale. So in thousands and thousands of people. So I think this is what makes you quite unique to some other monitoring companies that I've come across and that I'm going to talk about later in that the science, the, 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 the scientific backup, the human genome uh, glycome project that you've had, it's really, really deep and backed up by proper scientific brains. Yes. So this is all rooted in, this is where it, it, it all started. And because there is nobody else globally who could do this in the level that we do it, and there is nobody who's going to just bring it to the market uh, apart from us, we can really delegate. So usually a lab, you know, if you're a Harvard lab, Stanford lab, you, you know, you give it to a small group of people who then start a company and you just make money off the royalties or the IP. But because, you know, we were a private institute and, um, you know, it was, it was not so easy for us to just say, Hey, here's this hard thing that you need to turn into something that actually, you know, people can use and that can impact people's lives. We had to do it ourselves. Uh, mm. So we're unique in a way that we are the start of the science, we're the start of the commercial and even the start of an industry um, because there's nobody else um, working at this part of biology at, at this scale. So that's great. There's a big tick in the scientific box. Now, coming back to the whole human glycome project and ultimately my question around, why do we end up aging? What, what, what have you learned through this process, uh, through the project and through your assessment of glycans and carbs and so on in terms of what are the factors that actually ultimately make us age? So what we learn for glycans is that, and keep in mind, we're specializing in glycans on the adaptive immune system. So we're really what we're looking at is aging of your adaptive immune system, which is the immune system that you impact throughout life that also is highly impacted by genetics, epigenetics, but also your environment. And is implicated in most chronic disease because most chronic disease has a common mechanism, which is this low grade chronic um, inflammation uh, that glycans regulate. Um, so what we saw when we looked at the first, um, I think of 5,000 or 6,000 people, uh, actually we were focused on diseases. So we were trying to look at the you know, a big group of people and then understand diabetes or, or some other di disease. And we realize we can't really understand the disease unless we know the age of the, uh, of the people, because you could have, um, a young person who has a chronic condition whose glycans look like a healthy old person. So unless you have their age, you can't really, you know, you can't really understand what's going on. Um, and then we realize what we're seeing is some kind of internal mechanism of aging that's implicated in aging itself without disease, but then also very connected to a whole host of different conditions. Um, and that was back in 2013. So we published this uh, clock, glycan clock of aging. And that's the first glycan clock of aging. And it was published at the same date and even the same, so same year and same exact publication date as the first epigenetic clock of aging. But if you look at commercial application of clocks, you have a couple types. Uh, I would say three main types. Um, yeah. One, there's more scientific ones. So there's more which are applied in science, but not really yet commercially. Uh, first one is the epigenetic clock. You have maybe 15 companies with different epigenetic clocks in the market. Uh, the glycan clock. And then you have these clocks, which are uh, algorithms, like uh, uh, fancy algorithms modeled on 
existing data that we've always had. Yeah. So it's not like a new type of um, analysis we're doing or a new part of biology. We're just taking you know, clinical data or routine blood work and then modeling an algor- algorithm to try and map up an age. Um, so these wow. are the three yeah. ones that I think are commercially available now. Again, I'm, I'm trying really hard not to kind of, I'm trying really hard to demystify all this space for everyone. And so when you say the adaptive environment, I think what I take from that is your studies are looking at what factors in the environment ultimately contribute to a skewed extent to people's aging. And, and, um, if I've interpreted that correctly, what kind of things have you seen over time that adversely impact aging? So it's not just the environment. And, and we recently did a study on twins where because they have the same genetic identical twins, you have, they have the same genetic makeup. You can look at how much is their genes, you know, how much is their environment, how much is lifestyle. And about 40% of your glycan age, so your glycan clock is down to genes. So almost half of it is a lottery. You know, either you have a good starting point or it's a little bit unfavorable. The, the other 60% is your environment and your lifestyle. Now, how we slice it or how we did it in the, our understanding from the, you know, big cohorts of, uh, epidemio, I always cannot pronounce this uh, word in English, epidemiological studies. Um, I, I can't either. About, yeah, another 40% is environment. Uh, and that includes epigenetic influences. So epigenetics, you can also think of as past environment. So what has happened to your biology throughout your life? Um, and we even try to title that natural aging. So something that will, you know, 40% will change with age. And then another 20% is purely down to lifestyle. And that's diet, exercise, daily small habits that you, that you can impact. So if you look at it in a lifespan perspective, so let's say you're going to live to hundred, that means that just with healthy lifestyle behavior, you can get 20 extra years of healthy life. In a nutshell, what would you define as being a healthy life? So unfortunately, you can't define it on a rule basis. On a generic scale, you can't do it. On a generic scale. It is very individual. What is healthy for me is not healthy for you. And Mm -hmm. we're finding more and more, we're understanding more and more in this side that there's no one food that everybody responds the same to. There's no one type of exercise that everybody responds really? to. Really? I thought avocados were great for everybody. No, definitely not. Uh, of course, healthier whole food um, yeah. is going to generally have a better in- impact than if you're just having you know, ultra-processed fats. But you yeah. have people who are much better at metabolizing uh, fats than they are at carbs and vice versa. And you have to see okay. where you stand as an individual. I've taken the the glycan age test and um, I was unpleasantly surprised by it. So, so I, I think um, I almost developed this unhealthy attitude towards my biological age when I've done telomere testing, a bunch of blood marker tests, a bunch of other tests. I provided my blood test every three months to a company who then tracked my biological age. But Glycanage was the only one who told me, you're actually probably a little bit older than you thought you were, whereas all the other ones were telling me I'm a lot younger. Um, so why such a variation in the market? Why such a variation in, in, in results? And seriously, as, as someone who's trying to help the man on the street, how do we start even navigating where to go to and where not to go to? So you have to keep in mind that all of them are measuring different things. 
And uh, telomeres was one of the, these first ideas of how we might be able to measure aging. But what was then later discovered is that they're good for aging of a single cell. But because you, because they're like kind of like the limit of how many times a, a cell can divide. Um, but when you look at the whole organism with you know, trillions of cells, and you collect a bunch of them from one place, and then you calculate an age on it. Um, it first is very variable. So if you do two samples at the same time, generally you can get a huge variability of 10 years plus. Um, and then it won't be meaningful for an outcome uh, because you're not looking at aging of a system. You're just looking at a collection of uh, cells that have different ages and all of your, you know, you have, um, all of your cells have very different ages. So it doesn't work from a systemic perspective. Then, I don't know what other tools you will use, but if you're looking at uh, routine blood work, so something that you know you can do at any doctor's office and just do a comprehensive blood panel, and then on top of that, they add an algorithm to give you a biological age, you're looking at markers which are more specific, you can say phenotypic, or specific to an organ system that's not working optimally. So you can say, okay, uh, my pancreas is not, my thyroid is not working optimally, whatever it is. But at that stage, you already have decline in an organ system that you can identify at the point where you, you're losing function. While on a molecular level, these changes start decades before you get to a point that an organ is losing function. It's just that the markers we use in healthcare today are not designed to measure those early molecular changes um, that actually gl the glycans do. So you're looking at how does this molecule function versus what blood work is now, what level of a molecule do you have in blood? Like what level of a lipid, what level of a protein? And that's already, when it's skewed, it's quite bad news. Well, if mm -hmm. you're looking at function of a molecule, you have a long time before you actually get to an organ decline. So you're looking at different things. And... Um, with this, you know that the, uh, the reason for it is chronic systemic, we call it sterile inflammation. It's not due to an acute infection. It's not something there that's been around for a few days. It's something that's been lingering for, for a while. And then finding the cause is sometimes a bit of a mission. Um, but you do have, with every test, you have a consult uh, with our specialist team. And um, I, don't, I don't know if you had one of those, but was it helpful? Did you find any? So, uh, so, so I think it's, it's probably a useful point to describe how glyconage works. So I was given a kit um, and with that kit, um, and if I'm describing it incorrectly, please jump in. But w with that kit, I had to provide, I think, four drops of blood on a piece of paper, um, ship that away, have to leave it to dry for at least two hours and ship it away. We get various notifications to say that the assessment is under process. And then we should get our results in, I think it was five to 10 days. And then as it turns out, and I'm not going to go into full details, the results weren't what I was expecting based upon the previous results I had had and based upon other blood markers I'd had tested. All the other stuff I was looking at was showing me that my body fat was lower than it had been for a long time. My VO2 levels were very high. Um, hemoglobin was shifting around my body at a, a good speed and the levels were great. And my insulin and, and blood sugar levels were absolutely fine. So when glycanage came to me, the results were not in line with any of that. But the reason I think glycanage is actually probably a stronger proposition than the other models 
is because I had the call with the scientific advisor and um, the scientific advisor went through each of the results with me. And in fact, most of the results were pretty good. But the one result that wasn't good, um, I can't remember the specific test, but it pointed to the fact that I was probably exercising way too much. Um, and I do about six, maybe even seven days of quite intensive, intensive HIIT training and very high intensity HIIT training. Um, I still do a lot of endurance events and I learned that I'm not resting enough. Um, and with a follow-up from the doctor, I've started resting more um, and I'm going to be very keen to see my next set of results on, on glycanage. And so, so, so to me, as a customer on the street, that level of interaction with glycanage was very different to what I had with other models. Is that, is that something you guys have specifically thought about when you developed this product? Absolutely, because the science is complex and yeah. the interpretation is hard. So you can put all of this into a PDF, um, but first of all, nobody really reads the full PDF, um, very rarely. Um, and it's very different when you talk to a human who's knowledgeable that can go through that with you, uh, connect it with your lifestyle, your family history, and then try and identify this cause. And that's a very likely one. If you exercise uh, six to seven times a week and it's intensive hit, um, it's not unusual for us to see a higher glycanate. It's actually very common. Uh, so yeah. that's pretty easy to interpret. And the way you confirm that that's over-exercise is by slowing down, taking, you know, adding a few days of recovery or changing the type of training. We've even seen the people who go from HIIT in the evening to yoga. Um, we had a lady that improved 13 years in three months. Uh, but wow. she has, you know, she had two kids, a very stressful full-time job. And then after all the stress she already had, she would do HIIT training, you know, every evening or every other evening. And then um, her practitioner just got her to switch it to yoga. Um, and in that, you know, in the it was actually a three-month follow-up. Af afterwards, she dropped um, uh, 13 years. Yeah, yeah. just to play de devil's advocate on that though, um, which I guess is my role on this podcast. When you say someone's age has dropped 13 years, um, we're talking about the biological age. And, and I guess one of my concerns is the algorithms that a lot of these companies use to come up with an aggregate score and aggregate age. Um, how, how can you specifically identify that someone's biological age has gone down by 13 years just through yoga? The reason you have the three uh, or the four blood stains there is that we actually run every analysis in triplicates, which, which means we repeat the experiment three times. And then we look at the variability. And because we repeat it so many times, we managed to reduce this variability to uh, less than 1%. So if you see a one-year change, this is not an error margin. This is not a lab error. This is an actual biological change of one year, which is really important as an aging biomarker. And in most that you do, for example, telomeres, but also a majority of epigenetic clocks, their variability or this error margin is seven, um, four to seven years. So if you do two tests in a you know, short time frame, and you see a four-year shift. It might just be due to an error, uh, not to an actual, um, not, not to an actual biological change. If you look at how people's glycans change in uh, longitudinal studies, so thousands of people just followed with aging. On average, they age about a year per year. It's quite stable. And if you are not changing anything in your lifestyle, and you repeat the test a few times a year. It's not uncommon for you to get the exact same result. It just won't change. Um, but then when you have an impact 
and it has a significant impact on your biology because keep in mind this is your uh, genetics your epigenetics your environment and it's significant like 10 year shift that is a really meaningful impact um and of course this is the immune system so you have to think of it and the immune system is our governor of health it's implicated in most chronic disease we think of it as just infectious disease so how strong is your immunity but no it's also cancer it's cardiovascular disease it's metabolic conditions it's it's pretty much autoimmunity it's everything that we suffer from 90% of that goes back to the immune system um so it can shift dramatically like for example with covid we see that you know usually also glycans have a half life of 3 weeks which means that you're not going to see much of a change until the full shift over which mm. is 6 to 8 weeks so you should not see a change in this short period but glycans control the half life on antibodies and when we look at covid when we did a trial on 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 um mild and severe covid the clients which would shift decades within a week um we it would predict mortality so you can lose your health within a week you know you can yeah. contract something and lose your life in a short period of time due to here in this case a virus um but this can also be down to stress and we see that stress has a huge impact and yeah. physical stress is one of them so if we look at athletes who compete before competing they have generally a healthy baseline then as they um really stretch their capacity to you know run a marathon or 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 when some other competition we generally see them go up all of them do damage some level of damage um and for example uh, every year we lose a few marathon runners uh, due to a heart attack they just drop that um yeah. so sports is also help yes it's healthy at 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 a certain dose we, we need it. it it's a positive stressor but you can take it to an extreme where it it can have the opposite effect and a lot of times this is what people do when they're trying to be very healthy they think that just fitness is going to be enough just if i go to the gym five times a week i'm going to be a healthy individual and that's just not true your body no, just stop there just stop there you you you're yeah. beginning to ruin my whole concept of my life <laughs> in all seriousness so go to the gym 5 days a week it's it's not necessarily good for you first you need to prepare your body for that amount of exercise yeah. and that my stress on your body you need to recover from uh, from making you need to feel it with nutrition that's appropriate for you and all other stressors you have in your life uh, so it's okay. all a balance for an individual and we have done sports studies where we look at acute inflammatory markers and we look at glycans and we would see that hit training this was a sprint training study we would see the acute inflammatory markers go up so you're seeing pro-inflammatory changes on acute which is good because you need acute inflammation post post exercise because that's building fresh muscle but glycans would only change anti-inflammatory in this study so we can distinguish between positive and negative inflammation from sports. And if you are okay. seeing your glycans change pro-inflammatory post exercise, then this is lingering chronic inflammation. That's going to be there until you recover or you allow yourself to recover. Understood. I I get that totally. So again, I think for for the layman like me that when I send my blood samples to you having rested more, you should hopefully see a change in my glycone profile that indicates and uh, that it has a contribution to my biological age and 
And um, yeah, let's see when I send my results through in a few weeks' time. And uh, but I think you've explained that really well. It's uh, the glycan profile; the characteristics should change, and through that you can determine at what point in time did you introduce a change, and that appears to have 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 have, an, have, have had an impact. At, say, for example, from yoga, that makes a lot of sense. Clearly, we we've not spoken about other things because I think it's spoken about so much the effects of smoking, alcohol, you know, too much of the wrong types of food. All this has an impact over time and your glycan results will pick that up and you slowly introduce changes through the consultations that are similar to, to, to what I've had with, with, with them, your teams. Um, let's talk about one more thing. It's on your website and it's relevant to a lot of people at the moment, menopause. Glycan age talks about the fact that it could play a role in with menopause and managing the menopause. Um, just talk to me about that for, for, for a second, if you don't mind. So another thing that changes in, with age, both in men and women, and that's that our hormones decline. Now in men, it's more of a gradual change throughout life. Uh, although we have seen that um, uh, for some reason, men's testosterone has been declining in the last 50 years um, more rapidly than ever before. So you have we have way lower levels of hormones than, or men have way lower levels of hormones than they used to 50 years ago. Uh, and nobody knows why. For women, it's very clear. So women, um, because of ovaries, ovaries are the fastest aging organ in the body. Uh, by 35, they're considered an old, they're considered old. So if you have a pregnancy post 35, you're co it's considered a geriatric pregnancy. And menopause happens due to this, um, in a way, loss of the complete function of your ovaries. Um, you can say running out of eggs, but there's, you know, it, it, it's a general decline. And they create most of uh, women's hormones. And as they stop creating them, especially, you know, as, as when this final cut-up happens, um, majority of the health um, or chronic conditions accelerate in women. So if you look at when do women develop chronic diseases, majority of the big like diabetes, cardiovascular disease, all of that happens post-menopause. In men, and, and generally they have uh, longer lifespans, so women live longer, but they have more chronic conditions in this last quarter of their life than men do. Uh, men live shorter, but they, uh, th their conditions come up uh, much, much earlier. So what we've seen is that uh, it's, menopause is this main aging event in women. So as women transition from perimenopause, where their you know, chromosomes are starting to decline, into full-on menopause, you're going to see rapid aging. And we see that the pace of aging in this transition period is more than double than what it would be in any other time of a woman's life. And the only other time we see naturally women age or their glycan age to go up is post-pregnancy. So during pregnancy, Interestingly, their glycans actually become younger because their hormones uh, are higher and the body is um, getting extra, like for example, even conditions like rheumatoid arthritis goes into remission during pregnancy because it's kind of becoming extra healthy to protect this new okay. life. But then as <laughs> the new life is born, um, in a way, um, the woman sacrifices herself for this um, new life. And we see that this acceleration, um, which can be sometimes 10 years, um, can la last pretty much until you stop breastfeeding. 
and then it goes back to normal. So it's not that you have aged post-pregnancy and you're going to stay old. It's going to go up. It's going to be impact. It's going to be damage, like natural damage mm-hmm. in your life. And then it's going to go back to your healthy baseline. Yeah. So this is the first time we've seen like a hormonal connection due to a natural event uh, in women. And the second time we see it is, is, is menopause. And that there, that can be mediated with intervention. So we see that, um, uh, estrogen has a huge impact on biological age. So we had, uh, clinical trials where half of the women are given replacement. So HRT, and this is the transdermal ones. So the ones which are mainly used in practice today and half of them are not given. And if they're not given, they age nine years. If they're given replacement, they stay in their range. So they don't, mm. they don't, they don't see a pro aging change. And interestingly, there was a similar experiment done in men where men, uh, actually they were, uh, given, a, uh, something to suppress their home testosterone. And then half of them are given back testosterone and the other half are given back testosterone plus aromatase inhibitors, which blocks the conversion of testosterone to estrogen. And we see that if they're just giving back testosterone to the natural level, to what it should have been, uh, they see, they don't see a negative change. They, they, they stay in the healthy range. Well, if you give them the blockers, so you stop conversion of testosterone to estrogen, they change pro-inflammatory or pro-aging. So it's actually the estrogen that also mediates this process in, in yes. men or estrogen is this anti-inflammatory. Um, has this anti-inflammatory property. Now it's very complex because all of us have yeah. different hormone levels. Uh, there's different types of drug, you know, there's nothing, there's no one, one size fits all as everything. Uh, but hormones play uh, a big role and hormonal imbalances, both because of you know, losing something with nature or pregnancy, uh, will have a big impact on, on your aging process and on your life. Okay. At what part would you say for menopause would the glycan age, um, intervention assist in, in, in managing through the menopause? Well, one is identifying it uh, early because there is, a, unfortunately, we don't have a blood test for menopause. There's lots of attempts in measuring different hormones to identify this transition period or perimenopause. But the problem with hormones is that they change quite rapidly. They have short half-lives. So you're constantly seeing an up and down shift. You know, you measure one day, you measure another and you have a, you know, you're too high one day, you're too low another day. It's really hard to get a complete picture of your hormones by measuring hormones directly. But glycans have a long half-life and they're impacted by your hormonal balance. Or um, you can in a way say that they, they are a measure of homeostasis or the perfect balance of the body. And this disruption of it, you know, will, will be visible due to hormones, due to diet, due to smoking, whatever it is that's impacting you. Um, so the best time to start is when you are in your, let's say, early 40s and you might be experiencing some symptoms and you, um, you know, because you, you, menopause has 70 different symptoms, you know, this can be anxiety, it can be depression, it can be uh, joint pains, it can be fatigue. Um, you're experiencing some symptoms, start tracking yourself. So track yourself, get your baseline. Um, remeasure in a few months time. And, um, if you see this rapid shift for no other explanation, so you're not uh, running a marathon, it's most likely to do with your hormones. And then when you go on intervention, it can be dietary. You're trying to rebalance your hormones naturally, or you're going on, um, you're trying HRT, uh, your glycanage will respond to that. 
and yeah. it will show you if your therapy is working or not. And we actually have clinics which titrate the dose of uh, uh, estrogen um, to um, make sure that you're on the optimal dose for your health. Because there's, it's also really, you don't have many ways to measure what's the right amount and what's too high or too mm -hmm. low for an individual. So this can also be a bit of a general guide on if something's having an overly positive or negative impact on, on the organism. It's getting really difficult for the, for the average person now, I think. Um, I, I think where, where we're heading to is a world which has got used to traditional medicine and stuff like the NHS and the uh, national healthcare around the world to now something that requires a lot more private monitoring. Um, do you think that the various governmental bodies like the NHS are going to start taking up more of this preventative sort of monitoring? It's all over the place now, isn't it? You've got a lot of companies who are providing equipment to do this, and it just feels like the world is moving on from traditional healthcare and, and it needs more of what you're providing. It's going to take time. So it's not going to be... Because healthcare is not designed for healthcare. It's designed for sick care. Uh, so unfortunately, we only know how to deal with problems when they're severe enough for us to have solutions for them. And, you know, your physician not, is not going to help you change your lifestyle. He might give you a warning on that, uh, but that is purely down to you. And if you have not had feedback on your lifestyle for 50 years, and all of a sudden you go to your GP and you get some bad news, and then he tells you that you should improve your life in all these hard ways, it's much easier for you to just go on a drug to fix the problem uh, instead of trying to do the hard work and reverse early diabetes or pre-diabetes. Um, so there's a big problem in feedback, getting this feedback early on that you know when you're doing damage, you can measure the damage you're doing and then you can fix that. Um, and that's something that healthcare will eventually transition to where you will, from a young age, have insight into many different biomarkers and see exactly how your life is impacting your health while you are healthy, before you have an actual issue to deal with. But for that, healthcare needs different tools. So instead of us looking at which organ doesn't work, we have to look at go back to the molecular level and indicate early that you're going to have uh, an issue in the future when you still have time to prevent that issue from happening in the first place. And yep. we do have these tools now. You know, glycans are one of them. They're one of the first molecules to change decades before you have symptoms and a diagnosis for many different conditions. Um, but they're, same as we now need to explain them for specialists to individuals, we also need to educate doctors. And that's going to be a long process. We need to implement this testing into um, regular hospitals. And that's very hard to do because the analysis, glycan analysis, is magnitudes more complex than genetic analysis. So getting it into routine healthcare where they're used to getting a result in a few hours and, you know, just putting something into a machine and getting an output. And in this case, you know, you have days of chemical steps in the lab and you get a complicated output that you need to educate yourself on how to understand. Um, it, 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 it will take time. But eventually we will transition to that because how healthcare is done today doesn't work. And if yeah. you want actual healthcare, it's really down to your hands. And a lot of it is cash pay. Even things like menopause, which happen to every single woman and have a proven negative effect on their health, their work life, their everything, they're not supported so well on the NHS. There's some movement to do it, but um, it, it's, it's you know, not, not the first thing on, on, on the list. 
Okay, I, I think that's that, that's a, that's absolutely fantastic summary, actually. Um, Nicolina, there's so much more I can talk to you about, and and I'd be taking up like the whole of your day if I did that. I think um, um, the way in which I think I'm going to talk about this from my experience is that um, I'm you know I'm not that far from hitting fifty not out right in terms of my my my, my chronological age. The thing I've struggled with is doing a once a year test um, that tells me that. I need to focus on X, Y, and Z. And then I go onto this crash after January um, uh, and start trying to control this map. That doesn't work for me. Um, but also what doesn't work for me is instant monitors. And so there are various instant monitors where you eat something and it tells you, bing, 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 your blood sugar has gone down. It, it affects my my way of life too much. It's an, you know, I, I do want to live and let live to an extent and I do want to enjoy the moment to an extent. But where glycanage works for me is that it's not an instant thing. I can do it every three months or every six months. And there are lots of products out there, but the products that I've used, I haven't found them to have that much of a scientific underpinning such as the glycanage app. And they want so much blood out of me that I can hardly get out that it becomes a really uncomfortable experience. Right? Um, and so I think your product to me from a scientific sense and from a usability sense and actually not just impending on my day-to-day -day life, it makes sense for me. And so I think I'm going to continue to use Glycan H. Um, I'm certainly an advocate for it, even if I, I was shocked by the results. Um, if you can just tell me where people can get the Glycan H kit, what's the best place to follow you and, and how they can add you guys onto their socials and see what you're doing. And, and I should say, sorry, the last thing that I also like about you guys is that your tests are done on humans over a period of time, not on lab rats or lab mice stuck in unconditional conditions. Um, uh, and, and, I, and I think that makes a massive difference. Yes, no, I think that's a key thing because a lot of science gets to market way too early. There's no human data yet, especially yes. for supplements. So yeah. we've even done a trial with a supplement that prevents hypertension uh, in mice, but I'm not going and recommending that to humans yet until we have a human trial. I, I've recently come off NAD, transveratrol and NR. I've been taking them for two years um, and I wanted to test on myself if I remove them from the chain, do I feel anything different? And just for the record, this is my experience alone, no one else's experience. Um, I can't say that I felt any different after stopping taking them, uh, if I'm if I'm honest with you. But 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 there's clear signs to it, and I just think they need to to extend it on over humans over a period of five to ten years. Um, but I'm digressing. Going back to my question, how do people follow you, and how do we and how do they order kits if they want some? And we will also put details in the text of this podcast as well. So we do have um, quite a bit of activity on Instagram. So it's just like an age on Instagram, yeah. same as on LinkedIn. If you're a health professional, then I recommend LinkedIn. If you're a consumer, then our communication is a bit more oriented towards consumers on uh, Instagram. Okay. To, we have also um, a podcast specific to glycans. It's a bit technical, but if you really want to dive into the science, we did interview a number of uh, top glycobiologists globally. So if you wanted to 
purely dive into science and you're curious, we have a section on the web- website called the Glycon Hub, and you have a number of different interviews with um, top glycobiologists. I've seen it. Yeah. I've, I've, seen it. I've seen it actually. Yes. Yeah. And the tests you can uh, buy on the website. So we have an um, e-commerce site where there's different packages. There's one test with the specialist interpretation, or you have two tests, uh, which means there's an in- intervention in between. So you do your baseline, you have a consult, you get an action plan, and then you uh, validated the action plan has actually had an impact on your biological age a few months afterwards. Uh, so we generally recommend that one, but you might already have a great score to start with. Um, so if you I do, don't. then you just have to continue what you're doing already. <laughs> then, like, the action plan uh, would definitely be recommended for you. Now we do uh, sell through a number of different practices. So we have just under a thousand different um, private healthcare practices and uh, individual doctors who use the test in practice. And to them, we can give more information. So to consumers, we don't give any disease associations because we don't want to unnecessarily scare you uh, without you having um, you know, a professional who can actually handhold you there. This half an hour call is not enough to tell you that you have a you know, cancer association. That, that, that will not work. Uh, but if you are in a private clinic and they have the whole setup to really dig in deep and uh, identify an issue early, we do give this additional information on disease associations. And then they do a number of different follow-on testing to try and uh, early on discover if there is a problem or not. And keep in mind, yes, some of these things are like a lot of the cardio markers are heritable. So genes play a big role. Um, but and most of these things, glycans are the first thing to change. So you're still a long, long way away from an actual serious problem. Um, and then, you know, the earlier you identify an issue, the more chance you have to prevent it. Uh, so that's something that's available for doctors, but not on the consumer platform. Do you have such clinics in London? We do. Yes, we do. I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. <laughs> we can give you a few recommendations. Thanks for listening to this episode. As the saying goes, you can't hack what you can't track. If you're serious about making real interventions in your lifestyle and monitoring the results, you're gonna need a tool to support you. I'm not convinced with many of the tools out there, but the quality of interaction with the Glycanase team and the detailed level of science-based feedback suggests to me that Glycanase is the place to go. Let's grow young. If you've enjoyed what you've listened to and you want to find out more, please hit the subscribe button or the follow button. If you want to find out more about me, please visit my website, www.sanjpathak.com, my Instagram profile at Sanjpathak Life Coach, or just simply send me a message on my email, which is sanj at sanjpathak.com. Thank you for listening.